If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 1875 podcast. As ever, I'm your host Tom Schofield and I'm joined by Alex and Ollie. On today's show, we'll be discussing Tony Mowbray, Danny Graham, and giving a cheeky little plug for a special podcast as well as our YouTube channel. First though, Alex, Ollie, welcome back, and we'll start with you, Alex. How have you been? Uh, I can't lie, the second lockdown's been a bit of a bummer. Um, I think it has been for everyone. Um, you know, it's been going on for about 10, 11 months now, and I think it's coming up to the anniversary where a lot of Rovers fans haven't been to the Rovers in over a year, so... I think it's a bit of a poignant time at the minute, but I think it's just about getting through the next few months and hoping for a better summer, I would say, and then maybe a more normal next season. But yeah, as far as football is concerned, I think uh, it's always good when Rovers cheer up the January a bit with a few wins, and I think that's what we've had. So yeah, it's not all been bad on that front. I'm going to say they certainly have cheered us up, um, despite some lot lost performances, I would say. Um, I'm sure we're going to discuss that later on. Um, and Ollie, after your live stream debut this past few weeks, um, have you been able to swat away all that newfound attention? <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's good. No, I've, it's funny, actually. I think it's, this is quite a... Alex said it really well on the last live stream about that we're all... We're just like a group of fans that kind of do this just because of the love of the club and yeah, I actually really enjoy doing it. It's not a chore in the slightest and I've been doing this pod for a while. Um, it's just actually, it's quite a nice thing to look forward to at the weekends when there's not much else doing. So it's good. It's definitely quiet and having someone like us uh, to listen to, definitely in a bright that you're there. Um, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so um, I think, with all that out of the way, we're going to jump straight into it. And um, we're going to start talking about Tony Mowbray. Um, obviously, Mowbray makes it four years in charge of Rovers at the end of this month. And it's safe to say, as of late, he's certainly split opinion and probably throughout his time at the club. Um, just one month ago, many were calling for his head after, after a run of lacklustre results and performances. But in a January where we picked up 10 points from a possible 12, things seem to have just calmed down a little bit. Um Alex, I want to run to you with this first one. Um, there was that, I'm not going to say majority because it wasn't, but there was a large group of fans that were starting to get a bit tired, starting to say Mowbray out. Um, I know Twitter was getting quite frustrated um, on both sides of the the pen. Um, do you think those rumblings were a little bit premature given that we've gone and done so well in January? They were premature. I think that's the, the short answer to the question. I think there's a much deeper aspect to it as well in the sense that 
I think under Marbury, historically, we've always gone on these runs. We've never been a mid-table team that wins one, draws one and loses one, just constantly. It seems like we go on runs where we probably win six out of eight games and we get close as that top six. And then we have losing runs where we may be 13th or 14th. And those runs kind of balance out at the end of the season to leave us in sort of mid-table. So... It seems like whenever we go on one of those, you know, in my opinion, consistently inconsistent runs that we've always have gone on, that the rumblings start to increase surrounding the manager. Um, I don't think it's different here than any other club in the championship, if I'm being honest with you. I think a lot of, should I say, the Marbury backers, the more enthusiastic Marbury backers, sometimes say that, were like more ungrateful than maybe other fan bases. I don't think that's the case at all. I think if you look at any, you know, I saw a clop out hashtag this week on Twitter. Um, so that just gives you a bit of an indication of what football fans are like. So, um, yeah, it was it premature. Absolutely. Do the fans have a right to be frustrated with the Christmas form? Absolutely they do. I mean, you look at Christmas form, historically it's always been a time of year when we've struggled we seem to struggle picking up points we seem to struggled performing at the levels that we previously have so I think there's certainly some um, merit to what they were saying in the sense that you know is there improvement being made I think over the piece you look at the league position that we're in at the minute eighth we finished last season 11 so there is improvement there I think there's been improvement in style of play as well as league position so that's a double whammy for me um and so, as long as we're on that trajectory, I'm relatively relaxed about a manager and I don't really feel the need to rock the boat in the sense of, I don't really know who we'd bring in. I don't really know who we'd bring in would get more out of this group of players than what Marbury has, if I'm being honest with you. I also think that if a manager did come in and get us into sixth and got us up in a miracle that I think the Premier League season would be so exceedingly unpleasant with a lot of defeats uh, that I don't think we're yet ready to make that step up. And I think all those things together makes me more relaxed about the manager than perhaps many fans are. It certainly would be unpleasant, I think. But then the money would counteract that because it would basically secure... um, our future, especially in the current climate. Um, Ollie, jump to you then. Um, Alex mentioned a bit there about the performances and performance levels, perhaps a style of play. Um, perhaps I'm being unfair here, and I think I probably am, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, have we been a bit lucky over January? Um, it is a results business, and we've been picking up results, but we haven't been playing well, have we? I mean, look at the Middlesbrough game. It was... There was a sense of luck there. Branthwaite should have been sent off. Um, thankfully for us, he wasn't. Um, Luton, there was obviously a slice of luck with the fact that we were... Or was it luck? Was it just quick thinking, I guess, with the the, the quick drop ball? Um, depends who you talk to, probably, with that one. Um, has there been a slice of luck with the results recently? Or do you think it's a case of this Rovers side being resolute at the back and taking their chances, whereas previously against teams like Watford... We've been unable to do that. I'm quite a positive Rovers fan. Um, 
I think it'd be a little harsh to say we've been lucky. Um, I'm not quite sure what it is about January. Um, certainly since we've been back in the Championship, I think that first season, I think we won every game in January, but then I think we lost nearly most of our games <laughs> going into February. I think it was 10 in a row in the Blues in or something like that. Eight yeah, nine, we, yeah. Seem to, we seem to do well in January and get within touching distance of the playoffs and things go wrong in February and March. Um, I don't think we were as good last January, but we still went. I think we lost the first game, but then went unbeaten the rest of the month with a few couple of wins. Um, and this, yeah, and then we've been unbeaten this month and we've picked up some draws and wins. No, I think, you know, I don't think we were lucky against Birmingham. I think it was a tough game, but I think we deserved to win it. The Middlesbrough game, I don't, it can't be, I don't think that's lucky because I think that it was accidental as bad as bad an incident as it was, but it wouldn't, the double jeopardy would have, double jeopardy would have applied. So it wouldn't be, it was a penalty and not a red card. It can't be both because it was it was an accidental foul. So, okay, Middlesbrough maybe take the lead, but I think our second half performance, we were actually very good. Um, Luton, Luton being Luton, I think I've, I think I made it quite clear on the live streams. Um, it's quite desperate for us to beat Luton, so they can take that one on the chin uh, after, <laughs> after the previous three games. Um, no, I think it's probably, I'd say this January, it's not been as prolific as previous seasons, but um, I don't think it's a coincidence that we've had a settled back four and goalkeeper. And I think if you ask every single team in this division, probably maybe except Swansea and Norwich at the moment, that but probably, they probably wouldn't discount themselves, but this division is every game sits on a knife edge, every single match. doesn't matter who's playing who, whether it's top, league, bottom. They're really tight games quite often and little fine margins like a settled back, a settled back five means we've had less of those silly mistakes. We haven't let in, we've not gifted goals this month the way that we were in December or we've had a couple of poor months this season and you see the difference it makes if you get a few clean sheets and then all it takes you you only need a goal to win a match. And no, I think I think the biggest thing for me is to don't dwell on the fact that whether we deserve to get all the points we've got in January, let's not do what we've done in previous seasons. We've got an opportunity to perhaps put some pressure on the top six. So a couple of results went our way um, as well in the week. And let's see if we can actually capitalise on it instead of getting the opportunity. And if, yeah, if you're ever going to point the finger at Mowbray, it's when these opportunities come along and we had plenty of them last season, that there's something, there seems to be maybe a mental block with the team that we seem to... We seem to not be able to grab these opportunities when they arise. And I think you, you touched on it then, and I know you're playing devil's advocate, but I think at that halfway point in the season in December when Moby, I think Moby commented that he felt we should have been 10 or 12 points better off. And I agree with him. I think I think if people may say we've been a bit, a bit lucky in January, but yeah, I think you've, the Norwich game, the Watford game, the Bournemouth game, the Preston game, I think we're very, very unfortunate to lose all those matches. Um, not we'll be beating Preston. Hartley. 
Um, not Preston. <laughs> Bournemouth. Was it Bournemouth, Norwich, Bristol? That was it. Bristol away. Yeah. Cardiff at home, losing at home to Forest. I think to not win any of those matches, given how well we played, I think it's quite unlucky, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a fair point. I think that, like you say, whilst, like I say, I'm playing devil's advocate, we have been lucky with some results this month, but then you look at the, the games past, um, we've been very unlucky. I think we were all just flabbergasted out as to how we haven't picked up a single point off any of the promote, uh, relegated sides, sorry, because we mm. didn't play superb against all of them. I just want to ask you something else, Ollie, with regards to Mowbray. Um, do you think that we have to look beyond results when it comes to Mowbray? Um, and hear me out a minute, because I don't know if Alex would agree with this. Um, but Mowbray has obviously built up quite a thing behind the scenes, especially. And he did pull the club from the doldrums. And like you mentioned, we've now got a settle-back five, and that's because of his recruitment. I know that prior to that, you could say we've not had a settle-back five because of his recruitment, because he's brought in players like Daniel Ayala, who seems to be the most injury-prone man ever. Um, we're talking Vince Greller levels here. Um but do we have to look beyond the results with Mowbray because of the work he's done behind the scenes? Or is it a case of, yeah, that's your job. At the end of the day, you do that work behind the scenes so you can get results on the pitch. And that's what really matters. That's what we measure you with. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I think I mean, it's a secret that I'm I'm always very much a Mowbrayan. Um, I think I, I was listening to something earlier in the week that, I think we, you look at teams that are proving to be successful, that operate with our kind of budget and scale. And, you know, there are plenty of teams that we can kind of mirror ourselves against. And I actually think what's going to be successful in these times is teams that sort of have a bit of a philosophy and an identity about the entire club. And, you know, I look at teams like Mowbray isn't a Bielsa, but you look at teams like Leeds, you look at someone like Graham Potter at Brighton that's kind of fostered, there's an entire identity around what the club is and the style of play and the type of players they scout and they bring in. Same with Swansea, who've been doing it for a long time. Same with teams like Brentford. And I think that's what Mowbray, we're not mirroring those clubs exactly, we're doing it our way. But um, I hope we aren't mirroring Brentford, they consistently fall short. No, yeah. <laughs> so do we. So do we. Um, we do to be. Well, at least they get in the playoffs. They're doing better than us. So yeah. But, um, no, I think I think that's important. I think things that I, you know we're not going to go into them as topics, but things like COVID and Brexit have put quite serious limitations on money and transfers, and particularly our European scouting network. Um, if we if you if we were to change manager who comes in and wants his own backroom staff and wants to bring in players that suit that style of play. We can't, we can't afford to rebuild the squad. And, and equally, it is difficult to get players in at the moment. And so in th- there's like a, some of it's about just being pragmatic as well, that it's not that bad. Mowbray is great. All told, he's been pretty good for this football club. Um, I don't think anyone can disagree with that either. I think he has been superb in terms of, of what he's brought. Alex, would you agree with that as well? Would you say that 
we do need to look beyond results? Or are you of the opinion that the behind the scenes is his job? Yeah, he's done brilliant there. But if we aren't getting results on the pitch, none of that really matters. Um, in terms of his job and keeping his job, I would say that results is the determinant factor in that. But I would say that if he does leave due to negative results, I think he'll leave behind a system in place that was an awful lot better than when he came in. Um, I can only talk about, for example, recruitment. The club followed a very 1960s model of recruitment where it was, oh, he looks like a good player, let's sign him. Uh, Oh, I saw him play against me when I was manager of Rochdale and he looked all right and he stuck a goal in from 30 yards out, so we'll sign him. Um, A very ancient model of doing things. And I think what the manager has done, give him all due credit for this, is that he's spoken for, I think he's spoken for many years now about putting a recruitment department in place and all of us have turned around and said, well, where is it? And we said, well, you know, where is this recruitment department that you've talked so much about? What I think you've seen in the last, particularly I would say 18 months, probably 12 months is, I think that's come to the, you know, we've, uh, as we've carried on. And I think there's certainly no way that Marbury knew about Thomas Kaminsky. I mean, there's no way that he knew that player from seeing him play at all. It was, that was a, that was a signing recommended by the people at the club in the recruitment side of the club. And the manager obviously green-lighted that. And I think you've seen the results of it. Um, I want to know whoever decided to make that recommendation of Kaminsky. I'd like to know who that is for a start. And I'd like to give them a pay rise. Um, <laughs> and then I'd also like to know who recommended Dolan uh, for a start. Um, so the, the, these are systems that the club has in place, regardless of the manager now. And I think if Marbury ever does leave... I think he spoke about this in the local press this week that, you know, the journey will come to an end at some point with Rovers, whether it be retirement, sacking, or, you know, we don't know, we can't predict the future, but when he does eventually leave, he will leave systems in place at the club that weren't in place when he arrived. And for that, I will always be grateful for him, even if he leaves under a cloud of bad results. Mm. Let me make that absolutely clear. Um, I know the state the club was in when he arrived because we were all upset by it and we remember that and we remember the acrimony and division at the time. So I remember what the club was like at that time and I appreciate the difference now. Um, and I think all of the debates around keeping the manager or not don't focus on what Marbury has given the club it's purely out of a desperate desire to get results. It's a reactionary, it? it's, yeah, it's a reactionary um, thing in terms of bringing them in. Um, uh, yeah, and, and, yeah I, think, I, think, I think you're spot on as well. Like, for its worth, I'm pretty sure all three of us are Mulberry in. Um, just not if that's the... Yeah, so I, 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 like I said, I know you are. I'm pretty sure you are, Alex. Um, just a, a, another question with regards to Mulberry, Alex, towards you. Mowbray clearly attracts good young talent. We've seen this on three occasions now with loans from Premier League. So obviously there's the Harvey Elliott, who's been nothing short of exceptional. Um, Branthwaite, who's come in and really, like we said before, settled that back five um, that we've got and just given us some stability. And then obviously there's Harwood. Is it Harwood? Bellis, Bellis, how do you pronounce it? Howard Bellis, yeah. Bellis. Howard Bellis, I'm yeah. an idiot. Um, so we brought in <laughs> Howard Bellis, who 
I've not seen him play, but by the people in Rovers chat who seem to, well, who not seem to, who do know their stuff, Andy and Joe, they both obviously give rave reviews for him, um, as well as the likes of Nixon on Twitter, who really seems to, I think he he, he described him as a Rolls Royce of a player, and, and that can't be a bad thing. Um, does he deserve credit for attracting that young talent? Because that's not easy to do. We've seen we've missed out on players in the past because mm. they've not deemed Rob as a good place to go in terms of their development. Um, and we've had some duff loans. Jack Byrne, um, to name one. Um, I can name some more if you want. Yeah, there's a lot from City. Um, um, in our first season back. We've had Rekim Harper, who didn't Rekim play. Rekim Harper, he's gone to Birmingham now, actually. Um, um, but yeah, we've had some... Stephen uh, Hendry from West Ham. Yep, Stephen Hendry. So we've had some, we've had some duff loans, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're now bringing in players that clearly are highly rated, who are going to improve our side. How much credit does Mowbray deserve for being someone that youngsters look at and think, Look at Tosnad Rabayo, he's now playing week in, week out in the Premier League. Look at Harvey Elliott, he's getting experience playing week in, week out for a team that's pushing towards the playoffs. I want a piece of that. I think with a lot of these young players, particularly the players involved in the England setup, it's often word of mouth um, and speaking to your mates who've been under the manager and whether it's a good place to be, whether the training grounds are good environment, whether the squad's a good environment, whether the manager looked after them properly, all these things are kind of word of mouth that you really kind of need the first one to go well and then you kind of get the domino effect of that and I think we've seen that really. I think one thing I would say, and I think this really goes right to the heart of what Rovers need to be doing as a club at the minute, is that we are never going to have the biggest budget in the Championship. If we want to get promoted to the Premier League, as Rovers, we have to perform beyond our financial means. And the only way to do that is by getting loan players into the club that are better than the ones we've already got. There's no other way that Rovers can compete with the parachute payment clubs and the financial backing that that brings. And so I think it's no surprise that the only times where we've ever looked like getting any loans of any stature so like Michael Keane, for example, when we had Gary Boyer as manager that first season, he was in charge. And then I think you look more laterally at the last couple of seasons with Adra Bayo, certainly, maybe even Reed from the first season back in the championship. These are much improved lawns than the ones we've been used to. And I think the club has always gone into that rut of just using lawns as a squad filler due to inadequate recruitment. and contracts not being signed and just using lawns as just to fill out fill out the squad when often it's just been a blockage to some of our own young players from the academy from coming through and developing and uh, getting into the first team so yeah all these things are really good I think that Marbury it has a reputation for playing good football and I think that goes down well with a lot of the managers at the top clubs or the lawn managers should you say it some of the top clubs is that I don't know if they'd be that receptive to sending a young centre-back who likes the ball on the deck to like maybe Neil Warnock at Middlesbrough, for example. So I think there's certainly an element of that. Uh, and also, I think what you can't discount is the geographical nature of it as well, that Rovers being in the North West, 
certainly is, if not the best place, certainly the second best place to be in England for, um, in terms of location for football clubs, in the sense that there's so many good clubs around with so many good young players that um, often the aspect of maybe being quite a young lone player who isn't that experienced, the barrier of moving away from home maybe is taken away. Um, and all all of these things kind of muddle together to make it quite an easy thing for Rovers to do if they're willing to do it. And um, I think certainly yeah, in the last couple of seasons, you've seen that side of the club improve massively. And um, as I say, when one player comes in, has a great time, and then his mate gets the same offer the following season and he asks him, how did you get on? You know, if he gives a good review, then often that is the deciding factor. And uh, yeah, when you see the development that some of the young players have had here, I mean, Tossin last season, he's now playing in the Premier League week in, week out. And um, I'm sure as well. So he's clearly yeah. got, it's, it's not as if he's becoming a scapegoat because of his bad defending. Fulham fans mm. genuinely like the guy and think he's a good player. And all of these young players, you know, we, we've spoken so much about, you know, due to like the hoarding in the academies, you know, with the big clubs that not a lot of these young players get a chance and does that affect the England team? And I think these young players just want to play football at the end of the day and they just want to get their careers started and up and running and we provide them the platform to do that. Oh, we definitely do. And I think, like you said, if they go and tell their friends that, yeah, go Blackburn, it's a great place to, to develop, then Mowbray definitely deserves credit for creating that environment. Um, Ollie, last one on Mowbray. I'm going to throw it to you. Um, and like I said, we are all Mowbraying. Um, I'm pretty confident in saying that. And I, I wouldn't even entertain the fact. But at what point do you think you'd have to pull the trigger if it was to happen? Would it take a, a, a terrible run of results that just completely messed us up? Or do you think Mowbray's got a lot of credit in the bank and even if we only won five games between now and the end of the season and drew a few and lost the rest. Do you think his job would still be safe? No, I think if... Um, I think we'd have to have a really consistent downturn, not only in performances, but also results. And I think the point... I always feel as if you get that feeling... I mean, we're pretty used to uh, what it's like when managers are about to get sacked because we've had quite a lot of them in the last 10 years. It does feel weird. Um, it's guilty, doesn't it? It's strange. Uh, yeah, it's weird to have one for a little while. Um, I think you can see it in the players. I, th- I always feel when you can see it in the players, I th- I, you know when he's got to go. I think if... And that's probably that probably comes in conjunction with the fact that we've gone from middling flirting with the idea of the playoffs to middling flirting with the idea of relegation again I think that it's going to come if it comes it's going to come when we've had a bad enough run of form that that we're looking down instead of kind of frustrated with being mid-table or not looking up anymore and it's quite evident that the players are not with him anymore and I I think we're even in our little bad spells this season. I think we're a very long way away from the players not wanting to play for him. I think, you know, look at Tottenham the other night, that first half against Chelsea, that's a manager that needs to probably get sacked because the players don't care anymore. That It's very obvious when a manager needs to go. Um, 
I think Alex, Alex summed it. I think he sort of followed up what I was saying that if we get to a point where Moby needs to go at that kind of the infrastructure behind the club and when I've sort of likened us to something like a Brighton or a Swansea or a Brentford, the one thing we haven't done in recruiting managers for quite a long time is the manager needs to come in. If we were, if Rodri goes for whatever reason, I actually think we'd be recruiting a manager to come in and work with the system that's been put in place, like Swansea do. Swansea have been doing it since for a long, long, long time now. You come in and you, this is our style of play. This is how we recruit players, and this is this is this is the philosophy of the club. We've never. We always go. We need a new manager. You come in, bring your staff, and we'll try and you try and do what you want to do with the team. And it'd be very odd. It terrifies me. With you know, I'm old enough to have gone through Brian Kidd and relegation, and that was very short lived. And a, you know, we had a really good bounce back under Sunes, but the that the second downturn, kind of post Sam Allardyce, is, was a really pretty grim. 10 years for anyone that supported this club and it, it just terrifies me that that's what I, I'm over him because he's doing a good job but I'm also to get to the point to risk you know to twisting and risking it I it was a really dark few years as a fan of this club um and it, it terrifies me to go if we ended up if we get it wrong and you go on that downward spiral so that, the biggest thing for me is that the club would have to, and you're putting faith in the hierarchy of the club and the owners, that that's how they view recruiting a new manager. They don't go, we're going to bring someone in that is going to want to bring in a whole new backroom team and change the style of play and bring in the right players to fit that style of play. That that takes money that we don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that's what we're you know it's not impossible you could there are plenty of managers that could come in and build on what he's been doing but that that's how it has to be done as recruitment they have to yeah, come in yeah. and go this is how this club now operates I'm coming in to build on what Tony Mowbray's been doing not rip it up and try and do something else and that, and that's we're putting faith in owners that people have not had a lot of faith in for good reason to do it that way. Um, you know, they did a good job with, you know, Bowie was a good appointment and Moby was a good appointment, um, but the rest of them have been yeah. really bad appointments. No, they um, did not have a great track record, do they? And like you said, I think that a big thing is, is stability, like you said. He's done a good job and he's brought stability. And it's it's how much do you risk that stability? Um, in an attempt to maybe go up, um, you don't want to go too far backwards, and I think I think you are you, you are spot on with that. Um, so with part one out of the way, it's time to do some shameless self promoting here on the eighteen seventy five podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss any of our content, such as Andy Watson's stats show, a haven for all things Rovers stats, and a real saving grace for me, so I don't like a complete fool. Um, Andrew does a great job with them, puts a lot of work in, often has Rose Analytics on there, Joe Harvey as well. Um, and they just give you a really good insight into a side of football that I think I never really um, acknowledged. Um, I was a bit ignorant to it until recent. 
Um, of course, you can also find all our live streams there where Brian and Joe present both pre- and post-match streams. Um, with a panel that may include yours truly, as well as my faithful companions here, Alex and Ollie. I know we are starting as well. Um, the first one's today, actually, so we're recording on Saturday, the day of QPR. This should be a Thursday. Um, and today's uh, a watch-along has been recorded, so I'm sure that there's going to be more of them um, to come your way, which I'm sure you'll enjoy watching um, us get stressed, us get happy us lose our hair, us have heart attacks. Um, and last but not least, you can also find the 1875 podcast where you can catch exclusive interviews with Robert's players of yesteryear, including our most recent with Blue Eyes himself, Craig Conway. Um, and obviously you can listen to me, Alex and Ollie, talk absolute rubbish um, about all things Robes as well. Um, just subscribe to the YouTube channel. Recently hit 1,000 subscribers, which is a great achievement for everyone here. Um, and we'd love, obviously, to, to build on that even more. So with that shameless plug out the way um, of all things Rovers chat, I'd like to take a moment now to chat about Danny Graham, who announced his retirement last week. Um, Graham, of course, played a pivotal role in Rovers', Rovers promotion back to the Championship and has become something of um, a fan favourite amongst Rovers fans. Um, we were speaking before we started recording, weren't we, about some of his goals. Um, and we're going to speak about our favourite goal a bit later on, but we couldn't think of any mega important one that he scored where it was like, a Mulgrew or a Richie Smallwood. Um, I think we were saying he was always just in the right place at the right time. Um, and I think that's what you need with a striker. Um, Ollie, how big of a player was Graham for us? You know, at a time that we really needed him, like Mowbray said recently in the, the press, he sort of dragged us out of League One along with the likes of Mulgrew and um, Smallwood. Um, how important of a player was Graham for us in that period at the club? Yeah, I think really important. Um, it's funny, actually, that given, I think, the circumstances under which he came to the club, it's sort of, it, it is actually remarkable that how long he remained with us and the status he's held with the fans leaving. You know, it was, he came in a difficult season. I think Paul Lambert divided the fan base. Jordan Rhodes left as a, you know, one of the best goal scorers in the championship and we got Danny Graham on loan to replace him and I think that divided opinion quite heavily because at the time at the time I sort of thought the player I saw at Swansea I thought was great you know really tenacious not a mega goal scorer but a very tenacious forward um obviously he had a very bad time at Sunderland and but actually, under that loan spell, I think he scored seven goals in 18 appearances. And you think that's pretty good. Um, in the, the club's still in, not in a brilliant place. Um, yeah, and then obviously season, we then got relegated. But yeah, I think we were talking before the pod. I think for me, I've followed the club for a really long time. And I'll hold, I don't know what it is, but there are, I could probably list off sort of 10 players that you hold really dear as a fan. And I don't know what it is about Graham, but he he joins that list of, for me, players like, you know, a two guy or a Pedersen or a Benny McCarthy. You know, you go back and there are players, or Chris Samba, there are players that kind of get a bit of a cult status with the fans. And it's not because he was amazing. It was through a difficult period with the club and then success, albeit in League One, I think he played an important part, not just on the pitch, but um, 
I think probably the environment in the dressing room and I think you look at players like Mulgrew, Dax, Smallwood, Graham form the spine. Not only did they form like a really integral spine within a team that dragged us out of League One, I think I always got the impression you look at like the relationship between Graham and Dak kind of certainly off the pitch that they were probably, you'd always hear, even though the club's sort of down in the third tier and we've been, you know, we've had a terrible time in recent history, the noises coming out of the dressing room are, it's a fantastic side to be in and the cultural environment of the dressing room and the squad is, and it, and it's characters like that that kind of built that were sort of absolute pillars of in that and kind of creating and turning the team from a downward spiral to a club that's got promoted and restabilized in the championship and think about being promoted in his highlight reel is not a highlight reel of worldies it's just headers and scuffing goals in in the six yard box where he needed to be and or you know laying off the Dak and I think I always, when he came in, I think with Danny Graham, it was if he plays towards 40 games in a season, he'll hit double figures and he'll score his penalties. He's not 20, 25 goals, but he's 15 goals and he'll score his penalties. And that, but he will provide a really important role at the top of the pitch. And and that's exactly what we got. Um, Never say die you know, would bleed for the club on the pitch and then off the pitch, he'd be rallying, you know, work with young players, welcome people into the club and he can, you know, he left the club with his head head fell very high and whatever's gone on at Sunderland since, you know, he's in the twilight of his career and he's decided to retire, but I think he can look back on, I think he'll, yeah, I mean, I think he was quite emotional when he left the club, but like I say, few players will come back to Blackburn and get in any capacity and be always, always be welcomed by the fans. And he'll, he's very high up on my list of players. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's strange, time. isn't it? Like you say, I know you said before we started and you've, you've just said then um, that it is very much a, a thing where no matter what, he will be welcomed back. And some players are afforded that. Um, someone like Jason Lloyd was at the club for however long he was at the club. Um, I saw someone on Twitter, I can't think who it was now, compared the two. Um, it was a bit of a stretch, to be fair, to compare Jason Law's contribution to Danny Graham's. Um, I think Jason Law will never be remembered for the Middlesbrough call. Um, but yeah, um, you are right, he's definitely on that list. Um, and he's... I think he was just a generally good person to have around the club at a time we needed strong heads. Um, Alex, Ollie mentioned obviously about Graham. If he scores, he does score goals. With him saying that, did Graham deserve to play more football in his last season at the club? Just because, I know you said that you know, that the football we play now, you prefer better style, you think it's improving results. As Morbray said, he felt that we needed to change our style to be within touching distance or to get into the playoffs. Um, but Graham had come off the back of a season where he'd scored 15 goals, got player of the year, and then all of a sudden he just sort of was replaced by a player in Sam Gallagher that didn't really have the impact I think many of us were hoping he would. Um, I think he's now starting to show that Gallagher, but last season he did struggle. 
I think when you see a manager bring in a player in for the money that you saw with Gallagher, the manager needs to justify his decision. And by that, I mean he needs to give him time, try and allow him to actually develop and improve. So that I think that boxes off the first point there. I think what I would say, not only did we change to the 4-3-3 after the lockdown, which I think kind of rendered Graham's role in the team a bit obsolete in, in many ways, I also think that the injury to Dak at Christmas were Graham's main purpose, in my opinion, on the pitch was to support Dak and to get Dak in the game. When Dak got injured and the manager had to change his thinking around how we create chances and score goals and then the rise to prominence of Adam Armstrong, I think when you look back at that, I think you've got to say that the manager made the right call. Um, I'm not Marbury's biggest supporter, as, you, as you're all too aware. But I look back now and think, well, Graham's just announced his retirement, which is a very poignant moment, absolutely. But, you know, we've now got Adam Armstrong on our books, who scored, you know, he scored nearly 30 league goals in the last calendar year, and he's probably worth nearly upwards of £20 million now. So... You can look back and think, well, did Graham get phased out maybe a bit too quickly? I would say potentially so, but I would also say that managers who show too much loyalty to players that are reaching the end of their careers tend to be the managers that get sacked. And I think that Marbury's probably learned in a long managerial career that in order to keep in a job, you need to keep improving. And in order to keep improving, you need to keep recruiting players and letting players go. And undoubtedly, Graham will go down, as Ollie said, as a player that I always hold in high regard. I'll always give him credit for sticking with the club in its time of need. Um, because I wouldn't have stuck with the club if I was a player. Um, I will always appreciate him for that. I think we all will. And I think there's other players that will appreciate for the same thing. You know, Charlie Mulgrew and um, Smallwood, as you say. And even Craig Conway. Um, yeah, that's one thing Conway said in, in the the podcast was that it was he felt that a lot of the players that got relegated that perhaps were good enough to play in the championship felt that they owed it to the club, and it was never a question mm. for a lot of them of leaving. And they backed that they backed those words up with actions. And I think what I would say is that all of those players have now moved on, and it's pretty it's it's sad when you look back at three to four years ago and you think, you know, what great times we had and what great regions there were, you know, some of the away games we had and the massive followings and you look at the team that Marbury played and there is that kind of nostalgic sadness to it when you look at the players that are no longer here. But I also think you look at the players that we've got now and <laughs> how much better we are. Let's just leave it as well, that. I, I, I agree, and, I think. And, yeah. and that if and that if this current team played the League One team, I don't think. Uh, let's just yeah, say I don't I think, think the League One team would enjoy the ninety minutes too much. Um, yeah, I, I do agree with you there, and I think I think you are right. I think it's easy to look back and think of happy times, even though League One was tough at the time. I think you look back and you think winning every week, it was good, it was in fun, it, we enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, it's 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 true. Football moves on. And, I guess you can't stay too loyal to players that perhaps have run their course. We've seen that 
I guess on three, four occasions, even if you do include Craig Conway with that, you've got Conway, Graham, Smallwood and Mulgrew, four players that played huge parts and uh, obviously their time at the club naturally came to a conclusion. Um, so I'm going to go into now when we're speaking a bit about this. I'd like to ask you first, Ollie, um, what was your, your favourite Danny Graham goal um, at the club? I picked two. So, <laughs> um, I picked two, and having given him, having had an emotional tribute, uh, both of his goals came under Owen Coyle. Which, <laughs> <laughs> but I've gone, I'm, I've gone purist just for the best actual goals. So the first one would be um, the goal against away at Derby, because um, we also it was the winning goal. I think we came from behind. I think everyone is very famous. On, I think on YouTube as well. That uh, yeah, twenty-five pass move. Barcelona. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that yeah, as a team goal, and actually, it sort of it was a very Danny Graham finish. That you know, all his role in the goal was just get that one yard on the shoulder and just gets a whiff in front of goal and just slots it in after you know the team around him has played some really good football. Um, then the other one was um, in the FA Cup against Man U, um, which actually was probably his best strike for the for the club. Um, I think again he was assisted by Emnes. I think both goals were assisted by Emnes. But yeah, I think it was you know, I think it it we lost the match two one, and I think Mahoney. It was a it was a great game because it was you know, Ewood really full stadium. Um, I think we got. It's the game when Mahoney Megs Pogba, I think, which was mm. and um also I think to take, last year. Yeah. But I think to you know, we don't get many days in the sun, but it was just all moments. But um to take the lead with, you know, full stadium on TV and a really like a really, really high quality goal against, you know, a team of that stature and and such a quality strike was yeah, it was great. Um, so they're probably the two that stick out just in terms of quality of the goal um, for me. No, um, Alex, are you going to go along with that or do you refuse to shine any praise at all on Owen Coyle's tenure at Blackburn Rovers? I feel dirty for bringing the name <laughs> Owen Coyle up on this podcast. Um, I will well, only mention, really, because the podcast wasn't a thing when he was in charge, so he never actually spoke about him. Thank God. So it's, Thank God. It's, um, you never had to suffer through that. We'd have gone viral much earlier, Tom, wouldn't we? Um, uh, anyway, I think looking at the goals, I think I will go along with what Ollie said about the Man United game purely because it was Owen Coyle's last game before he got sacked. <laughs> so I feel... As close to the end as possible. I feel that that's an acceptable way <laughs> of mentioning him. And I think... I don't want to cover all ground, so I'll I'll talk about my one difference to Ollie. And I think the goal at Derby was an excellent goal. But I think when you look at, I just think about the moment with the fans and and how they reacted to the goal. And I think the one that stands out for me is the goal that he scored at the end of the Peterborough game, or the second goal um, of three Rovers goals in the Peterborough game at the back end of the League One season. Um, I remember the game being on a Thursday night on Sky. Us winning would take us within a point of promotion. 
We were really bad the first half as well. I think and Danny Green mentions in his post-match, I think he says something that that Jordy Axon said, we weren't very good in the first half at all. And the um, first half was abject. Um, did Peterborough go 1-0 up? And Mulgrew scored an own goal just before half-time, I think, that Peterborough went 1-0 up. And there was you could cut the tension in the stadium with a knife at half-time, uh, thinking that they might blow it. and. Just that Dak header, I just have that snapshot in my head sitting in the Blackburn end of the ball coming into the box, Dak heading it, hitting the bar, and just the ball bouncing down into the six-yard box. And it just it just felt like it was in slow motion. And then you just see Danny Graham coming in and nodding the ball in to put us 2-1 up. And um, I certainly remember the atmosphere that night being first class. And then I think... Danny Graham was also the provider for the that goal that wrapped things up late on in injury time. Isn't so that where uh, he comes steamrolling through and just sort of shoulder barges the defender off and then just slots through Dak. Yeah, I remember that. Mm. One. And then the whole like taking the shirt off, whizzing it round in the air, and then I think Bennett held ah, the Bennett shirt. Ah, the shirt, yeah. And um, I think they're all iconic moments from that season that I think we all kind of remember and. Yeah, I think that would have to be near the top for me. You're making me all emotional about Alex. I'm going to cry. Um, <laughs> I think um, mine, for its worth, would probably be, I'm going to choose three, and it's all three of his ones against Sheffield Wednesday, just because it epitomised Danny Graham at Blackburn. In the same way that you said that Dak at the post, he runs into the six-yard box and nods it in. I think every single one of those goals were tap-ins into an open net. Um, one of them, I think, was one of them, and it... it Keith made a save, Graham just slots it in, edge of the box. Another one hit the post, I think, and Graham slotted it in. And then the final one just played across the 60-yard box and Graham just taps it in. Uh, I think that epitomises his career at Rovers in terms of, like we said before, we started recording. He never scored a 30-yarder. He never was going to do, was he? Um, but the goals he did score were just those right place, right time, similar to Jordan Rhodes in that regard. Um, and as Morbury said, he's the best one-touch finisher um, he's ever worked with. Um, and I think that's that's got to be huge praise for Graham. Um, I think we'd all agree, like we said, that he um, he was the um, perfect foil for Bradley Dack. Um, and I'm sure that when we can go back into grounds and when he will, can get get people back on back on the seats, I'm sure Danny Graham will come back and we'll all um, give him the send-off that he, he rightly deserved. Um so before we finish, I just want to ask one more question on Danny Graham. Um, where do you think he went wrong at Sunderland for him, Alex? What what was the thing there? Do you think it was a poison chart he was heading back to because of the fact he'd had such a torrid time there the first time? Who has played well at Sunderland in the last six years? That's very true, to be fair. Um, Jermaine Defoe, is he in six years? Does he make six years or not? I'm not sure. I think there's something in the in the water in the northeast that means that Players suddenly start playing badly. Um, I think that <laughs> I think that could apply to both Newcastle and Sunderland, actually. Oh, especially at the moment, yeah. Um, Alan Shearer was never good at um, Newcastle as he was at Blackburn, so maybe you're right. Wilson's doing right, and we all know Wilson what is doing okay. Wilson is doing fine. We all yeah. know what happened to Jordan Rhodes when he went to Middlesbrough and Gestad. Yeah, yeah. So uh, right. something in the water. There is something. Um, I think. In, in all seriousness, though, 
it's a club where he never got on well with the fans, and I believe that you can only perform at your top level when you're comfortable at a club. I, I've never seen a player perform at their top level at a club when the fans are on a witch hunt. Um, I guess I goes to man. Owen Coyle, a perfect example as well. It was never going to work out for him. I do believe that Owen Coyle sealed, sealed his own fate in many ways, but I do believe that, yes, I don't think he was ever accepted from day one. But I think he sealed his own fate with some of the decisions he made. Oh, but, I, I completely agree, yeah. but the point is it, you, mm. it was never, ever going to work, in, I guess in the same way that Graham at Sunderland just wasn't going to work. Not because of anything Graham done wrong, yeah. but when fans get an opinion, it's very hard to change that opinion. And I've seen it myself, with myself. So, Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. And I'll just put it down to the fact that, you know, he hadn't played much football, as you're saying, that last season at Rovers. It's quite difficult to go back down into League One and play for Sunderland, in which you know they are the big scalp of the division. And I think everyone raises their game against you. I think we found that when we were in that league. And it's just not easy. It's really not easy in League One. And um, I think it's a shame for him for it to end mid-season and in the middle of this pandemic, so he can't get a send-off from the fans. But like you, like, like you say, a great career and um, a player I'll always remember. And as I said, I don't think you can hold Sunderland's situation against him. When I think he's been quite highly regarded at all the other clubs he's been at. He definitely has. And like I said, spent a long time at Blackburn and, and we, we do love him. And I actually told a lie. I've got one more thing I want to ask you, Ollie. Um, have you got a favourite memory of Danny Graham at Blackburn? Um not, could, could be could be the, the aftermath of the goal, but is the one that sticks out in your mind where perhaps something funny he did or just a moment where he celebrated or anything like that? I think maybe what maybe the the shirt and with Bennett holding it up, I think that was a good one. Um it was hard, like when we were chatting before the show, it's he's not it's not about the individual moments. I think I always quite like, um, actually, uh, quite a lot of his off-the-pitch stuff. I think he was, I think we see it at the moment with Brereton and Dak, that um, I think you see the, the, you get like an insight into their character and, you know, you see little clips come out of the club, like in silly things they're doing and training and stuff. And I think it was it always kind of seeing, he's obviously quite a good, he's a good laugh and, um I think seeing that character on the pitch or kind of off the pitch and kind of you sort of saw why why he's kind of held in the regard he is with the fans just because he brought that to the club in spades. Um, and I think, yeah, to me, it's just an overall thing just as a player. Um, and like we were saying before, I can't, you can never quite put your finger on it, but certain players just seem to get under the skin of fans and he's one of them. Um, no, yeah, no, bit of a club legend. For, for me, just I know we drew the game, but celebrating in front of the Wigan fans and just putting his arms up when we went 2-0 up after Bennett scored, I think it was Bennett. Um, that was I know Alex, you mentioned the Shrews run would turn the fans to car. I, I remember the one, I, yeah, that one, the Wigan one, I remember. Oh, Alex, do you with the Shrewsbury one when he after after the penalty and we'd had our little scuffle with Dean Henderson, just turn everyone to calm down? I think uh, Graham's best moment of that season was getting Dean Henderson banned for four games and uh, letting Shrewsbury tank like they did at the end. But yeah, 
in all seriousness, in all seriousness, um, I think that was one of the funnier moments that I remember from that season. Is the uh, is the whole Dean Henderson incident at home to Shrewsbury and the it's result that we got in that game? Well, wasn't it? I know that when he played for Sheffield United against us, there was um, quite a lot of booing going on. Um, but yeah, that's Danny Graham. Danny Graham, obviously, like we said before, superb player for us, and and everyone at Rovers chat wishes him all the best. Um, all the best in, in his retirement. I know he's got a clothing brand for Gatti, which I would encourage you all to follow on Instagram. Um, but that is your lot. Um, I'd like to thank Alex and Ollie for doing all the hard work whilst I sit and listen. As always, you've both been brilliant. Of course, who can forget you as well, the listeners. Um, thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to check out Rovers Chat on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. Um, we'll be back, as we always are. And I'll see you next time. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. Planning on traveling this summer? Make saving at the pump part of your plans with two times the fuel points from Harris Teeter. It's easy. Download your eVIC coupon, and for every dollar you spend with your VIC card, you'll get two fuel points. That's up to $1 per gallon on quality fuel at participating BP and Harris Teeter fuel centers. Download your eVIC coupon today and save money at the pump all summer long with eVIC and Harris Teeter fuel points. 